Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. It's Georgia Today. I'm Virginia Prescott, in for Steve Fennessy. As the nation celebrates Black History Month, we're taking you back to an often overlooked chapter in Georgia's civil rights history. Before the Selma to Montgomery march, before the I Have a Dream speech, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was sentenced to four months of hard labor for an outstanding traffic violation. It's October 1960, just weeks before Election Day. Dr. King is arrested for taking part in a lunch counter sit-in at Rich's department store in Atlanta. He was then transferred to DeKalb County, sentenced, jailed, and then taken in the dead of night to a Georgia state prison. Thanks to some back-channel, even rogue moves by the Kennedy campaign, Dr. King was released. Well, I owe a great debt of gratitude to Senator Kennedy and his family for this. Uh, I don't know the details of it, but naturally, I'm very happy to know of Senator Kennedy's concern. Black voters took note and gave Kennedy a decisive edge over Richard Nixon in the closest presidential election of the 20th century. That actually changed the entire tide of the civil rights movement and the political um, aspect of the country as well. Genesis Reddix is a senior at Decatur High School in DeKalb County. She spoke before the Decatur City Commission last summer to advocate for a marker in Decatur's town square to memorialize King's arrest and trial. We are working on a campaign to uh, erect a marker which will recognize the events of, um, of when Martin Luther King was actually sentenced to a chain gang in um, Decatur City, um, right across the street from City Hall. This is the resolution supporting application to the Georgia Historical Society for a historical marker commemorating Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That's Decatur Mayor Patty Garrett. And whereas the commemorating King team has researched and documented the events surrounding a traffic citation issued to Dr. King in DeKalb County and his subsequent detention and sentencing to prison and hard labor. That detention changed King's life and American history. A new book digs into just how. My guest, Paul Kendrick, is co-author with his father, Stephen, of Nine Days, The Race to Save Martin Luther King Jr.'s Life and Win the 1960 Election. So, Paul, this is not something we often see in the highlight reel of Dr. King's life. What happened? So he had moved home to Atlanta in 1960 after the Montgomery bus boycott and and, and a few years on from the Montgomery bus boycott as he was really struggling to figure out how he was going to make national change, how he would move America towards equality uh, and, and, and a civil rights victories as he had the small southern city. And he's drawn into the student sit-ins that were happening because these were his friends. It was announced just the other day that variety stores in 112 southern cities would voluntarily integrate their lunch counters and cafeterias. I take it you do not feel this is sufficient progress? It represents real progress, but it certainly isn't enough. King and, and the students, their primary focus was getting downtown Atlanta, riches in the downtown department stores to desegregate. Uh, the focus was on Atlanta. They were Atlantans. And so here's Dr. King talking about that. 
I'm sure that uh, with the reasonable climate in Atlanta, it is possible to desegregate lunch counters without any real difficulty, and uh, the transition could be a very smooth one. He did a sit-in at Riches uh, and went to Fulton County Jail along with the black Atlanta college students that were forcing the issue of civil rights three weeks before the 1960 election. But he had had a previous traffic violation suspended sentence from DeKalb County, and that judge, Judge Oscar Mitchell, was able to get him back into his Decatur courtroom and sentence him to four months hard labor. So DeKalb County and Decatur at this time were KKK strongholds, mostly. Uh, Judge Oscar Mitchell was presiding over this case. What went on in that courtroom? King had a great Atlantan hero and, and, and really an American hero as well, Donald Hollowell. You have asked me what other plans do we have in connection with Reverend Martin Luther King's release. Hollowell had driven the back roads of Georgia defending black men falsely accused of, of different things. He had risked his life uh, in the years before he became the student sit-in Atlanta College student's lawyer uh, as someone who they could always call on who would be there to, to defend them. And Hollowell, in this hearing in Decatur, he's asking the richest staff, well, was there anything different about these students than anyone else, they were nicely dressed, right? They were not fighting, they were not creating noise, and 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 really making showing everyone the absurdity of these segregation rules that King and the students who went to Rich's department store's Magnolia room in order to, you know, have tea, have lunch like everyone else, uh, but were arrested for that to really show the unfairness of it. If the court fails to release him, of course, we would take other steps to appeal or to effect a release of Reverend King. Now, Judge Mitchell wants to talk about motor vehicle codes. You know, he wanted to use the law, use the technicality in order to persecute King because as Hollowell is saying, no one's ever been you know, sent into state prison for four months for having an out-of-state license a few months after they moved here to Georgia. Uh, so Mitchell wants to focus on that, and Hollowell wants to expose what's going on to the nation. But Mitchell doesn't want to hear it. And, and does, to the shock of the courtroom, sentences King to four months in state prison that day in Decatur. I was at that hearing, and the judge sat sideways at the bench while the defense was presenting the case. He, didn't, he wasn't listening to anything he said. He had a comic book, as a matter of fact, coming through this comic book. So Charles Black was a leader in the Atlanta student movement, uh, famously brave for all the sit-ins he did. And he's been really a mentor now to these young activists in Decatur. And here's a recording they did with him as he talked about watching uh, his friend, Dr. King, sentenced. So when he violated his, his parole, he was immediately sent in the dead of night to Reesville Prison in the back of a paddy wagon with a, a loose German Shepherd dog. 
in there. And, um, and King was said, quoted as saying later, that that's the most afraid he'd ever been. We prepared a writ of habeas corpus, which we uh, plan to submit this morning at 8 o'clock. However, when we called at 8 for the purpose of ascertaining the whereabouts of the sheriff for making service, uh, we were informed that Reverend King had been taken down to Reedsville at 4.05 this morning. King thought he was being lynched. She thought he was never going to get to see his family ever again. Um, these things happened uh, in the, the American South at that time, where these kinds of uh, nighttime killings could happen and, and, and uh, sad, tragically happen quietly um, and, and explanations never being given. So he's, he's put in the back of this car. He's driven away from Decatur. No explanation given for where he's going. And, and it goes for, for hours. So as light is rising, he realizes, okay, he's at Reedsville State Prison. The anxiety of that moment is unfathomable, but it was transformative for King. And he did draw strength from that experience that would allow him to face down the things that he needed for national change, for his activism to be effective in uh, moving the American soul and, and, and getting these politicians uh, to, you know, the public will behind them to, to support the Civil Rights Act. And so that's, that's what he went through on that drive from Decatur to Reedsville. The nation certainly is captivated. There are, there are op-eds being written in major newspapers, telegrams to Mayor Hartsfield of, of Atlanta, although it's out of his hands. And the existence or complications caused by an outside traffic case have nothing to do with this matter. We hope it is settled in a friendly way, however. nation is watching and the South looks really bad. So so what was at stake for the Nixon and Kennedy campaigns at this time? What what kind of calculation would it be for them to help a civil rights leader in the South? It looked like the black vote might go about 50-50. Nixon was seen as sympathetic to civil rights. And so Kennedy has to hold on to these states, um, but he has a team on his campaign, a, a civil rights trio Louis Martin, Harris Wofford, and Sergeant Shriver really believed that black voters could be the difference for Kennedy in you know, what looked like and was, I mean, as close of an election as we've ever had. Your candidates for the most important office in the free world seek your concern, your thoughtful judgment, and your votes in this vital campaign of 1960. King was a friend of Harris Wofford's, a white Howard Law graduate who was obsessed with nonviolence and then and befriended this minister who was who was doing it in the South and was an advisor to, to King, but also worked on the Kennedy campaign. So so his friend is in jail. So Harris Wofford calls down to Morris Abram, his Jewish lawyer working uh, with the, the King family and says, well, 
what's going on here? You know, can can Mayor Hartsfield get him out? And that be and but Mayor Hartsfield, who is such a colorful uh, Southern character, he soon goes out to the press and says, "Well, John Kennedy has indicated his interest in this case." I would not want to say who I talked with in the Kennedy headquarters, but I did talk with them, and they transmitted to me the friendly interest of Senator Kennedy in a friendly solution of this matter, coupled with the statement that uh, neither they nor Senator Kennedy had any desire to be put in the position of interfering. And so suddenly their campaign is publicly associated with this, which is making the the higher-ups in the Kennedy campaign, this is making Bobby Kennedy very nervous. But now they are engaged. John Kennedy, he didn't just want gestures. He wanted to actually solve the problem. And so he kind of out, outdoes the Mavericks uh, by calling Georgia's Democratic governor, Ernest Vandiver, who, when King moved home, Vandiver said, well, violence follows wherever Martin Luther King comes. You know, he was using this playbook of fear and, and scapegoating about Martin Luther King, you know, completely hostile to civil rights, was trying to hold on to all white schools, segregated schools at the time. And so uh, no friend of Martin Luther King is, is that's for sure. But he's a Democrat. And, and so John Kennedy is saying, hey, this is bad for our, our party. We got to get Martin Luther King out um, because Kennedy doesn't have to say it was a Democratic judge, Oscar Mitchell, that sentenced him. And so this whole thing is a mess. So the, they start working behind the scenes, Kennedy calling Vandiver, Vandiver calling a, a friend of Mitchell, a guy named George Stewart, and, and they start working on the judge um, and, and come up with kind of what's going to be a cover story where Bobby Kennedy is going to need to call the judge. Now, that's gone down in history as Bobby just got so mad that he just flat out called. And he did get eventually mad about this case, but there were these back channels that kind of set it up. And so it, it, it reads like you know a thriller because there are these twists and turns in the story uh, between the Georgia Democrats and the Kennedy campaign. But it's just a fascinating story about politics where you have – someone like George Stewart, who's a white supremacist, literally a white supremacist leader in Georgia. And he's not helping get Martin Luther King out because he finds King sympathetic. He is because he wants, if the Democrats win the White House, they think, okay, well, they'll owe us a favor. They'll keep civil rights enforcement out of Georgia. We just got to solve this and get our friends in the White House. But of course, there were changes coming to both of our political parties um, out of this that, that, that were not what those Georgia Democrats wanted. Just ahead, black voters delivered for Kennedy. Did he come through for them? This is Georgia Today. If you like hearing the news from around the state here on Georgia Today, you'll probably like hearing how Georgia's agriculture economy feeds the country and the world on a fork in the road. I'm David Zelsky, and on the Fork in the Road podcast, we feature stories from Georgia's farmers, fishermen, merchants, artisans, chefs, and others who help provide Georgia-grown products to folks in the Peach State and beyond. Find it online at gpb.org slash podcasts or download it on your favorite podcast platform. It's Georgia Today. I'm Virginia Prescott. We're looking back at Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s 1960 arrest, which will be memorialized this year in a marker in downtown Decatur. 
After participating in a sit-in, King was sentenced to a chain gang for a probation violation. It was the October surprise of that year's presidential race. Back-channel interventions by John and Bobby Kennedy and the Kennedy campaign helped secure King's release, which political scientists point to as critical for JFK's narrow win over Richard Nixon. That victory helped change party allegiances for black and white voters in the South for generations. Here's Dr. King speaking moments after his release from Reedsville Prison. Well, I owe a great debt of gratitude to Senator Kennedy and his family for this. Uh, I don't know the details of it, but naturally I'm very happy to know of Senator Kennedy's concern and uh, all that he did to make this possible. Uh, I might say that there are no political implications here. I'm sure that the senator did it because of his uh, real concern and his uh, humanitarian bent. And uh, I will always say that I'm deeply indebted to him for it. A new book digs into the tense days following Dr. King's arrest. I'm talking with Paul Kendrick, co-author of Nine Days, The Race to Save Martin Luther King Jr.'s Life and Win the 1960 Election. Paul, let's pick up the story after Dr. King walks through those gates at Reedsville State Prison. Uh, they rented a little plane to go out there, bring him back as fast as possible, and they had a big rally at Ebenezer that night. And Daddy King says, and I'm paraphrasing, but if, if he... John Kennedy could wipe the tears from my daughter-in-law's eyes, then, then he can be my president. And that's a very powerful statement for this former Republican to be uh, wholeheartedly, emotionally endorsing John Kennedy. That's a big deal for the shift in black voters that is, is going to be happening from the Republican to the Democratic Party. This was the closest election of the 20th century. Uh, and this is just 11 days after after Dr. King got out of Reedsville State Prison. So this this surge in black votes, uh, how how closely can you tie it to the events of what happened? Yeah, so polls are pretty primitive at this point. Um, but we, we do think that in nine states, black voters were the difference. The unexpectedly delayed climax saw Senator Kennedy the victor with a clear margin of electoral votes. At 43 years of age, he is the youngest man ever voted into the White House and the first Catholic chief executive in the history of the nation, with victories in the Southern Bible Belt, as well as the industrial centers of the North, to attest the shattering of a law. Do, do you think this event brought an about face in the care and concern and, um, and priority of civil rights in the Kennedy administration? That was what King was looking for from Kennedy. He wanted to see a mo more emo visceral connection to the issues they face, not see it as a kind of analytical problem. But yeah, but the Kennedys had not taken the time to focus in on civil rights uh, inequalities in America, you know, coming from their privileged background. They just had not put themselves out there to expose themselves to the realities of uh, of what other Americans were dealing with. But this was an important moment for them, but it was not uh, it was not the whole story because there were more things that King had to push them on uh, to get action. President Kennedy has done some significant things in civil rights, but at the same time, I must say that President Kennedy hadn't done enough and we must remind him that we elected him. It, 
it wasn't just that Kennedy won and then he got to the White House and said, all right, I'm going to pass civil rights legislation. <laughs> that had to be a few years of brave protest of, of King's uh, activism of the civil rights movement, the women and men who bravely put their bodies on the line in places like Birmingham uh, that would eventually get Kennedy to act on behalf of America, but in particular of, of voters who uh, had really put their trust in him as the person to advance it. Next week, I shall ask the Congress of the United States to act, to make a commitment it is not fully made in this century to the proposition that race has no place in American life or law. Um, and then it would be Johnson that, that, that got this legislation over the line after Kennedy's assassination. Uh, but this trio was pushing every step of the way, Louis Martin, Harris Wofford, Sergeant Shriver, of, of really trying to make the promise of that campaign realized in, in policy. And that wasn't easy, but it, it takes pushing to make sure the politicians really deliver. And that's a lesson, I think, for all of us uh, that's relevant today. Well, if we take the long view, now we have just recently the minister of the Ebenezer Baptist Church, the very church where Daddy King and where Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. both preached. Now that minister, Raphael Warnock, is in the Senate. Whether you voted for me or not, know this. I hear you. I see you. And every day I'm in the United States Senate, I will fight for you. This gives you an arc of history, where things have come. How do you see it? It's fascinating that the playbook that was used against Reverend Warnock was really all about scaring people about him. And it made me think back to everything I read in these Georgia papers in 1960 when King had moved home and, and Governor Vandiver is, is really trying to spread fear about him and, and say that he'll, he'll cause violence. Violence will come if, you know, with with. King Jr. moving home to Georgia. And so, you know, obviously it's sad that those kinds of appeals are still used, but it is obviously a, an amazing turn of events for DeKalb, the county that sentenced King to this four months, this, this place that was so feared uh, by Black Atlantans, uh, to be the place that the nation watches as those votes really come in for Ebenezer's minister, Reverend Warnock, uh, is a really, and, and, and when you look at the power of organizing, when we talk about young people, um, the, the ones that have gotten this marker to, to King approved uh, and, and, and all the, the voter registration and, and the things that have happened, um, but you think about the, the activism of 1960 and so how organizing, how forcing change, how how just getting involved and standing up uh, can really bring about such historic things as now we have, uh, you know, the direction of the country is really set by Georgia. And so uh, there, there are these the, these echoes that are with us that uh, that are that are hopeful that, that we can build on. And uh, let's make progress together that helps all of our families. Let's let, let's support civil rights. Progress um, is certainly something that, that, that we can hope to, to, to build on as a country. My thanks to Paul Kendrick, co-author with Stephen Kendrick of the book Nine Days, The Race to Save Martin Luther King Jr.'s Life and Win the 1960 Election. As we told you earlier, there are plans to place a marker in downtown Decatur where King was sentenced. 
That's thanks to Decatur High School student Genesis Reddix and other student activists. She was among protesters who successfully pushed last summer for the removal of a Confederate monument in Decatur Square. I think the significance of seeing a marker coming up and then also a racist monument going down kind of is just so significant to our times. I'm hoping that this will show up in history books or be a lesson taught, um, at least in the Decatur community. Reddick says it's an important step to confronting racism in this country. We have a long way to go. She says plans are in place for the marker to go up this spring. I'm Virginia Prescott, in for Steve Fennessy. This is Georgia Today, a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. Our producer is Sean Powers. You can subscribe to our show anywhere you get your podcasts. And please, leave us a rating and review on Apple. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.